Now see, wasn't that better than listening to me? <laughs> that song does a better job than I ever could of underlining the reality that we are all examples for good or for bad, moment by moment, and that our children are watching us. There are moments when we have to go to the barn and pray real hard, and times of rejoicing when we see the good the Lord has put in us has become a part of the children we love. Special word of thanks to Wade, who put a ton of work into that, and the rest of the praise team as well. Okay, now we're walking to a different position on the table. And we're going to talk about wisdom. When Solomon gathered the material that we know as the book of Proverbs, he tells us in Proverbs 1 to 9 that his goal is to teach wisdom. 23 times in the book of Proverbs, he says, my son, making it clear that, the Lord, that he was addressing the book specifically to his offspring, and I believe he hoped the son that would replace him as king. The Lord directed Solomon to record his efforts to impart wisdom to his children. I believe this underlines a father's responsibility to see their children grow in wisdom. As I said earlier, the responsibilities emphasized as part of being a father are also shared to a degree by the community at large. I have been blessed to have a number of other men who have had a father-like influence in my life. I want to share some of their stories with you this morning. I believe we can learn from their examples. In uh, Proverbs 11:14, it says that a multitude of counselors uh, is the, the, the key to success or wisdom. And so whenever we learn from a multitude of people, whenever we profit from the examples of a number of people, we have a better chance of becoming the men and women that God has uh, called us to be. We know that there are two primary tools the Lord uses towards this end. Uh, one of them is uh, listed in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, where he tells us that God's word was given to us so that we can be complete, fully prepared for every good work. There we see the movement from the knowledge of God's word, intellectual content, to the fruit of that content in good works. I believe the second uh, provision that God makes is the iron sharpens iron aspect of life on life that is a part of the church community. And so, the first fellow who had a father-like influence on me was a guy named Fred Bimbo. He was about, Fred was about 16 years older than me. I met him when uh, he moved in next door to us when I was 14. Uh, Fred had recently completed two tours in Vietnam in the early years of the war as an Army Ranger. We became good friends. Uh, he gave me he had an interest in young people. He gave me opportunities to work for him. And uh, as I got older, we, we moved from uh, kid adult to adult on adult friendship. And uh, we spent a fair amount of time together. I worked for him. Uh, occasionally, he worked for me. It was kind of a back and forth thing. Uh, one time, 
when Nancy and I were getting ready to move to Canada to learn French, we had to move, we went up and rented an apartment and we had to move our furniture up there and I said something to him ab about that, uh, just that I wasn't gonna be available this weekend. And he says, well, why don't we just drive up together in my pickup and we'll take all your furniture up? So I said, sure. So we take off, we put the stuff in the pickup truck, we take off, we get up there, we get to the Canadian border. Uh, they have a problem letting us in, but, but you know, we talk about it and talk about it and the paperwork wasn't right and all this. And we eventually get in and two hours later, uh, three hours later, we're back at the, the same border crossing going the other direction with an empty pickup truck. So I thought this would not be a problem because now we're going into America and America is my, com my country. Like, we're from America. This is home. I was wrong. I was really wrong. They separated us. They interrogated us. They swapped us off and had the people who interrogated him now interrogate me. Then they had me sit for 45 minutes and wait to process my paperwork, which consisted of <laughs> while the guy read the newspaper. Finally, I guess 45 minutes is like an ordain. I don't know if it's a union shop or what, but uh, you know, 45 minutes, the magic number came up. They stamped my, my paperwork and uh, I went out and got in the truck and Fred headed south. So as soon as we're like a half a mile down the road, I just unloaded. I just unloaded. I, un I unloaded with all the righteous indignation that uh, a middle-class kid who knows nothing of life can muster. Fred kept driving. We drove a little bit longer. I finally like ran out of bile. And, um, and Fred turned to me and he said, Paul, you have to understand, they've never seen a white man and a black man do anything but evil together. They've never seen anything like us. Fred took the opportunity to share with me some of the life lessons that he had learned. He didn't preach to me, he didn't disagree with me. He didn't act in any way contrary to simply being my friend. I know him well enough to say that if I had disagreed with him, he would have been indifferent to my choice to disagree. To him, this was not an issue of right and wrong. It was a chance to express a point of view, a view, excuse me, to express a view of the broader picture, one I had never seen for my profit. I chose to listen, and so I gained wisdom. I believe there's a principle here, and, and I, I want to underline this is not a biblical principle. I mean, it might be, but I, didn't, I don't have a verse where I could say the Bible teaches this. Um, but as I, as I look back on this, this instance, I believe that if we share wisdom for the benefit of the hearer, the choice to accept or reject is theirs. Sharing wisdom should enhance a relationship, not destroy it. Now, sometimes sharing wisdom will cost you the relationship. That's undeniable. But... Uh, when we share wisdom with someone, because we care about them, we have to put it on the table and walk away. Uh, I'll, I'll throw in a, another, another story to illustrate this. Uh, working for Fred was an eye-opener, and uh, oftentimes we had a crew, and uh, Fred would pay us for lunch, 
which would take us exactly as long as it took him to eat his lunch. And he would buy lunch for us, which happened to be whatever he felt like eating for lunch that day. So when he went out to get lunch, if he felt like having a roast beef sandwich with lettuce and tomato on rye with mayonnaise, he got four of them. And if he felt like drinking iced tea, he got four of them. And when he came back, he said, guys, I brought lunch, and he'd put it on the table. If you didn't eat it, that wasn't a problem. First of all, somebody else would, okay? He wasn't offended, but the first time he did that, and I looked at it, and I said, well, I don't like mayonnaise. He said, don't eat it. <laughs> if we can offer wisdom in that way, people are far more likely to accept it, because sometimes they don't want the wisdom now because they're mad, they're full of bile, they're hurt, whatever the, the reason is, but the Lord puts it in their mind, and days, weeks, months, maybe even years later, they decide that they don't mind mayonnaise that much, and they eat the sandwich. Okay, we're walking to another position on the table now. We're going to talk about compassion. I believe the scripture teaches that fathers have a special responsibility to intentionally teach the value of compassion, justice, and a natural reflexive concern for those less fortunate than or different from us. This was an emphasis of the law of Moses and was part of the parental responsibility described in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. It's especially, it's especially important that we, as materially blessed and materially focused Westerners, are intentional in our demonstration of this value to the next generation because our fallen nature gives us a natural tendency to focus on ourselves, our needs, and our desires. We're naturally self-centered. Anybody who does not believe this, go meet a baby. Our culture reinforces this inherent selfishness by telling us that it's all about us. The focus of our worldview is material and individualistic, which minimizes the value of relationships and the intrinsic value of all humankind. Individuals are viewed as at fault when impoverished, addicted, or disadvantaged. Compassion is better caught than taught. Paul showed this in his life among the Ephesians. He recounts his time and conduct among them in Acts chapter 20, verse 35 when he was seeing the Ephesian elders for the last time on the beach. He says to them, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now there's two components to his reminder there. Number one, there is an action. He worked and he gave. And number two, there is an underlying biblical truth that that work and that generosity expressed. And that was the words of Jesus when he said, it is better to give than to receive. When we choose to teach and to demonstrate, because the two go hand in hand, about compassion, we need to remember that compassion must have, it must be rooted in God's word, and secondly, it must be de uh, demonstrated. 
Another man who had an impact on my, my life as a, like I called him my Haitian, I told him to his face that I regarded him as my Haitian father. He used to laugh. Uh, was a Haitian pastor. His name was Pastor Ilamar Raymondville. The grace of God was demonstrated in his life to an extreme degree in that he could view missionaries as simply brothers and sisters in Christ. The playing field was completely level as far as he was concerned. Uh, Pastor Ilma and I spent a lot of time together when I was at the hospital. We worked together on a number of projects and uh, sometimes we just hung out. One time I had a, uh, uh, one of my employees, which our relationship, uh, that, that word doesn't do it justice because down there it's different. I was, I was his patron, which has no English translation. It sounds like patron, but that's not right. It means that he was an ex part of my extended family and that he accepted a responsibility for my well-being and I accepted a responsibility for his well-being. Um, here we would say he was an employee, which is kind of a bankrupt term. Anyways, uh, this fellow whose name I probably shouldn't give you, okay, I won't give it to you. This guy, call him Frank. Sorry to all the Franks out there. Uh, Frank, was, uh, Frank was accused of uh, fathering a child out of wedlock. And because things down there are not handled like they are here. Uh, their court system is corrupt and expensive and doesn't work. It's very different from our court system. Um, and so things, things are handled on a relationship basis. And so because I was Frank's patron, uh, the young lady and her mom came to talk to me. Well, it didn't take me more than about three seconds to realize that I was so far over my head in this that I couldn't even see the surface of the water from where I stood. So uh, I asked Pastor Ilma if he could come by on uh, the evening in question, and he came by, and, and, and we had a chat with the young lady and her mom. Now, Pastor Ilma did most of the talking, and he asked questions that gave her the opportunity uh, to tell us her story in response to our questions and our interest. He also asked a series of questions that gave the young lady an opportunity to express regret and repentance. And, um, but he never pressured her to do so. Uh, after, after the young lady and her mom had left, Pastor Ilma turned to me and asked me what I saw. Coming from my background, I, I delivered a, I have to think, stunningly insightful. Uh, analysis of the, the nuances in body language and uh, words that were, were spoken and words that weren't spoken and questions that were evaded and everything and I got done and he didn't say anything. So after he was quiet for a while I said, well, pastor, what did you see? His words shocked me to my core. He said, all I saw is a baby who didn't ask to be born. You see, he understood compassion. He understood that the real stakes there were not who was the father. The real stakes were 
a child who was going to be born into a life of poverty, a child whose hope outside of Christ was virtually non-existent, a child who would grow up knowing that uh, his or her was his, uh, that his father didn't want him, a child that would grow up with a mother who was angry at his father for not wanting him. His heart of compassion looked past the circumstances and into the lives of the people that were involved, including that unborn child. The principle that I gained from this, well, I gained a lot of principles from this, but we're, we're, only, we're gonna stick to just one. Uh, he asked questions. He listened carefully and respectfully. And then he provoked thought as needed. He showed rather than told me what the, what the truth was. We're moving to another position at the table. We're going to talk for a moment about kingdom citizenship. It falls to fathers to demonstrate to their children, and remember, this is a community effort as well, but because it's Father's Day, they get special attention, okay? It falls to fathers to demonstrate what being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven looks like. In our longing for our children to trust Christ as savior and begin their eternal life here on earth, it's tempting to relax once they make a decision and to not do the relentless work of helping them live day-by-day -day lives worthy of their heavenly citizenship. Paul's reminder to the Thessalonians is especially weighty here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, he says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know, we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. As fathers, we have that responsibility. We have the responsibility to exhort, encourage, and implore. I saw this best modeled in the third father figure in my life. Uh, some of you actually may know him. His name was Walt Baker. Uh, Walt was a former missionary to Haiti. Uh, he, when he left Haiti, he became a missions prophet, Dallas Theological Seminary. And he used to return to Haiti every summer and lead a group of summer internships, uh, of, of summer interns to gain missionary experience. He would, he, uh, we lived in John Rebel at the time of this incident, which is a, a very isolated community. And we didn't get very many opportunities to speak English and catch up on news from home and things like that. It, the world was a, a far more disjointed place 
back in the 80s than it is now. So Walt came out and it would be about a two hour visit. He would drop off the, the intern that, that he had chosen to, to put with us that summer. And um, after we talked through the pleasantries, he took me aside and he said, um, he says, Paul, I've, I've, I've noticed something in your life and I talked to some of the other, uh, some of the other folks down in Port-au-Prince and, and, and they agree uh, that this is an issue in your life that, that you need to address. Uh, you're, not, you're not living in this area in a way that honors God. And I looked at Walt and I said to him, Walt, I just buried one father. When I need another one, I'll let you know. Well, Walt was heartbroken, he was crushed. It was the end of his time with us. He had to move on to the next site, drop off the next intern. He took off. We wouldn't see Walt again for a year, which we knew. Walt went home, and he prayed about offending me for the entire year. He prayed about the issue in my life that he felt needed to be addressed for an entire year. During that year, I had a very difficult time because what God might have done very gently through Walt's words, I had refused. And so not listening to loving advice, I got the other way. And the Lord addressed the issues in my life and he addressed my rudeness and, and, and my hurtful words to Walt, so that when Walt showed up a year later, got out of the truck and came running towards me to hug me and apologize, I went running towards him and hugged him and apologized. We're both standing there crying like, you know, we had just lost an arm and we're in extreme pain. Anybody that tells you that real men don't cry either doesn't know any real men or is lying. We sobbed together. I will never forget a single moment of those two encounters. I have completely forgotten what Walt wanted to talk to me about. No idea. Maybe I should ask Nancy, she probably remembers, she can still remember stuff, but the point is, sometimes our example has more impact than what we actually do. I wrestled with those words and I can't find a way to say that right. But I, I wanna be clear, Walt did the right thing by confronting me, by praying for me, by seeking to be reconciled to me, he did the right things. And in doing those right things, he demonstrated kingdom citizenship. What he, confront, what he would have confronted me about, what he prayed about, and what caused us to need to be reconciled was almost irrelevant, except that I know God dealt with it. The important thing was that he showed me 
how to live as a citizen of our Lord's kingdom. We're moving to another position at the table. Uh, I think it's the last one. Yes, it is. It's the last one. I heard that sigh of relief. <laughs> I think fathers are at a special risk of looking down on youth. Uh, we love our children. I love my children. Not so much your children, but I love my children. And. Um, I mean, let's face it, we changed their diapers, hopefully at least once, even if it had to be redone by a professional later on. But, you know, we changed their diapers. We, we easily remember everything they ever did wrong. It's so difficult to remember the times they got it right. You know, even bad kids get it right more often than they get it wrong. But it's so much easier to remember the wrong that that's where we focus. Uh, Paul wrote, wrote a letter to, Second Tim, or to Timothy uh, while he was serving in Paul's stead in the, in the, uh, in the city of Ephesus. And Paul, Timothy was younger than many of the members of the churches he served. And apparently some of the folks looked down on him because he was younger. Paul wrote the following to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. To, I, th I think that should be to those who believe. Now, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. I, I believe, I believe, and this is, you know, this is my interpretation, okay, so I don't put too much weight on it, but I believe that if this letter had been written to the church rather than to Timothy, uh, Paul would have said, to the church, do not let my brother Timothy's youth give you an excuse to look down on him. Consider the life he lives before you, a lifestyle that should be your example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. A lifestyle only possible because he is submitted to and empowered by the Spirit of God. This validates his ministry and his message. It's easy for us to not listen to those younger than us. I was younger once, believe it or not. And people didn't always listen to me. And yet sometimes I had right things to say. Now unfortunately my life at all points along that, that, that timeline was not one worthy of, uh, was not an example of uh, excellent speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. We have to remember that the lifestyle validates the messenger. This is clear throughout the scripture where the false teachers are condemned because their lifestyle invalidates, demonstrates who they are so that we know that their message should be ignored. When we see a lifestyle that honors God, we need to give weight to the words that are spoken by that brother and sister in Christ. Whether it's my eight-year-old son 
or your eight-year-old daughter, somebody younger than us, or somebody older than us. We need to remember, we, or we forget, that not only are our children our children, but they may also be our brothers and sisters in Christ. As such, as we know them, they know us. The Lord may use us, he may also use them. We must be open to our children playing a role in our growth. This goes past the growth resulting from the trials and struggles of parenthood and enters the area of the one another commands of the New Testament. When we served in Haiti, uh, movies were a big deal. We had 20 of them. Every Friday we watched a movie. Uh, across four years and 20 movies, you can do the math and figure how many times we saw each of them. This was back in the days of VCRs. We used to take the cassettes and take a Q-tip with alcohol and wipe the mold off of them so that they would play on our VCR player, okay? So movies were a big deal. We came back to the US on furlough and we wanted to continue Friday night at the movies, which was a family tradition of long standing. And we heard there were these places. They were called video stores. They had more than 20 movies. And so I decided we would go to a video store and we would get a movie for a movie night since we left the 20 moldy ones back in Haiti. So there was a, a, a new video store that opened somewhere around here in Havertown. I remember, I forget exactly where it was, but uh, it was the nearest one to home. And so me and, and one of my kids, I think it was a son, I really don't remember which one. Maybe they remember, maybe I'll ask them, maybe I won't. But I took one of the kids with me and I said, we're gonna pick out a movie at the video store. So we went over and we walked in the front door and I looked around and I saw horrible things. Like the cover art on, on these, these video it was stuff that, you know, I, I didn't want my son to see that. I'm guessing they were like seven, eight, something like that, okay? And so in Haiti, you have this thing because it, it's not like life here and so uh, there's this skill you learn that you don't have to look at everything you see, okay? Sometimes you'll see something out of the corner of your eye. It might be somebody taking a bath in a, in a, in a bucket in their front yard. You know, you, you don't have to look at that. You just kind of ignore it, you know. Um, so we, we had this, we had already had this discussion, okay? So, you know, I, I squatted down next to my offspring and, uh, and, and I said, okay, look, um, we're in the video store and I, I noticed that there's uh, a lot of things here. It, it's kind of like Haiti, you know, you just really don't want to look at them. And he, he said, why? And, and I said, well, um, because they're, they're, they're not good for, for us to look at. They, they don't reflect 
uh, Christian values. Hopefully I put it better than that, but I definitely use more words than that, so, you know. And uh, the offspring looked at me and said, then why are we here? And it was like, huh. That's a really good question, pastor. And we turned around and left. We have to be willing to listen to our kids because sometimes God uses them to speak to us just like he uses us to speak to each other. Um, I'm gonna ask the praise team to, to come up now and uh, they're gonna uh, close the message with uh, another million words that I won't have to speak. But as they're coming up, I, I, I just want to do a, a brief review. Uh, we've looked at several aspects that fathers need to give attention to. What kind of example am I? Am I teaching compassion? Am I sharing wisdom? Am I disregarding my children as a source of spiritual growth because of their youth? Am I teaching kingdom citizenship? Now we said early on that this is a, um, all of these, every last one of them is a responsibility not just of fathers but of the community of Christ towards each other and towards each, other, towards each other's children. So, it, fathers, you're not alone. Like I had four other guys who helped my dad Tom out. You should be surrounded by a bunch of guys that are gonna help you out. Single parents who feel that, you know, you're stuck in a place where it's almost impossible. We should be helping you. There should be those around you who can reach out and can fill in for that lack. I had five fathers. We all have far more fathers than we realize, but we have to accept the fact that we need to learn from them. We have to be open to their involvement in our life. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't say thank you because this is the end of the message. Pay attention. <laughs>